the Iowa State Fair, a debate, a new Iowa poll, a Trump mugshot. It's been a busy couple of weeks of presidential politics. Some of our favorite political reporters are here to talk about it all on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, August 25th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. There's been lots of news on the Iowa campaign trail this month. We've assembled a group of Iowa reporters who have closely followed more than a dozen Republican presidential candidates who've been campaigning in Iowa and elsewhere on the debate stage this past week. Joining us for this edition of Iowa Press, Stephen Gruber-Miller. He is a political reporter for the Des Moines Register. Brianne Fonnensteel is the chief politics reporter for the Des Moines Register, and she wrote the Iowa Poll story that we'll be talking about today. And Aaron Murphy is the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. Aaron, let's start with you. Um, let's talk about the State Fair. I love talking about the State Fair. Oh, okay, but let's talk about the candidates. The oh, no, okay. Um, Kim Reynolds interacting with the candidates is what we should probably start discussing. What yeah. Did we, what did we learn? Well, I, this was a little more involved than previous governors have been in, in their role as host of the First in the Nation caucus state. Uh, Governor Reynolds thus far has remained neutral as she pledged, as previous governors have, but uh, she hosted all the candidates at the state fair, did a, a series of interviews which, with each of them, and, and that's a little new wrinkle on this, and, and, and like I said, it's a little more active, a little more involved mm -hmm. than Terry Branstad, Chet Culver, uh, Tom Vilsack ha have been in the previous uh, cycles, so why is that? There, there, there's, you know, the governor hasn't said specifically, other than she enjoys the fair, she wanted to get the candidates there, and get them out in front of people uh, and, and prospective voters. It's also fair to wonder, is that because she feels the need to protect the caucuses, given what's happened on the Democratic side? Does, does this help protect things on the Republican side? It's also fair to ask, I think, does, is this a way to help raise her national profile in case one of these candidates becomes the next president of the United States? Well, Brian, this maybe not have been a surprise because she has been out at events with the candidates since, uh, you know, late winter. She's really been front and center with all of these candidates, you know, welcoming welcoming them into the state, introducing them to caucus goers, and really kind of, um, you know, being that ambassador for them across Iowa, showing them the ropes. But this is really kind of an escalation of that, right? And, and you mentioned the Iowa poll. Kim Reynolds continues to have 
the highest favorability numbers of any Republican we tested in that poll. Um, so she is incredibly popular with Iowa Republicans, and this puts her in front of them. It puts her in front of those national cameras, as Aaron mentioned. And what's been really intriguing to me over the last week is she's kind of been signaling in some interviews, especially with national outlets, that she's open to endorsing somebody prior to the caucuses. When I interviewed her, you know, way at the very beginning of this cycle, she was very clear in saying, my job is to welcome people to the state. I'm going to show them around. I'm not going to be endorsing. I don't see that as my role. But she's really left that door open lately, and it'll be interesting to see whether she follows through and actually does make an endorsement. I did a story about the prospect of her endorsing, and I had some key people like Iowa GOP Chair Jeff Kaufman say, perhaps not king maker or a queen maker, if you will, in terms of who might win the caucuses, but it certainly would move the meter. Stephen, how much could an endorsement from Kim Reynolds change the character of this race? Yeah, it's interesting because there's really, there's Trump, there's Ron DeSantis, and then there's really a pack of candidates who <laughs> yeah. are struggling to kind of break out and, and make themselves a serious alternative. And so, you know, if they were to get that exposure, that attention, it could be helpful. But I think there's there's pros and cons to to Reynolds deciding to endorse, right? Her, one of her stated reasons for not doing so is to preserve a, a level playing field for all the candidates in order to keep Iowa's first in the nation caucus status. So if she were to endorse somebody, especially somebody other than Donald Trump, and then Trump were to go on and win, well, that might not bode very well for the future of the Iowa caucuses. So I think there are risks, and I think she's that's why she is heretofore said you know, I'm going to stay out of it, but... And, and I think your question is an interesting one that there's no answer to yet. Will it, would it move the needle? Right. Um, I, I, as a, you know, as observer this kind of stuff, I would be fascinated to find the answer to that because usually when we talk about these things in endorsement, nine times out of ten, the answer is, honestly, that stuff doesn't matter a whole lot to voters. It feels like in this specific case, uh, boy, that would be interesting to see, as, as we talked about, given Governor Reynolds' popularity here, would that actually move the needle in a meaningful way in this race? Well, we've seen U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley endorse Bob Dole twice, campaign on his behalf, and Terry Branstead endorsed Bob Dole before the 1996 caucuses, and that was key because Bob Dole was stuck in Washington negotiating over a government shutdown with President Bill Clinton, and so... Uh, Terry Branstad was a surrogate for him on the campaign trail. What would be the value of being on stage with Kim Reynolds? Well, I think we've been to a lot of these events and you talk to people who are attending and you say, you know, what, it, what does it mean to you to have Kim Reynolds up there? And they say, well, I think it reflects really well on these candidates that Kim Reynolds is willing to speak on their behalf. And so she's given, you know, really, she said really nice things about all of these candidates, but when she really likes someone, she, you can tell that she has very personal stories to share when she's been on the campaign trail mm -hmm. with them, she knows them. She can really sell them to the audience and they believe her. She's a very good messenger. People trust her. And one real quick anecdote to add to that, to, to illustrate that, we, uh, it was one of my colleagues who caught a person at the fair after seeing uh, Nikki Haley with Kim Reynolds. And, and you know, as we do, uh, my colleague asked, what, do you, what did you think about Nikki Haley? And the person said, I don't know about much about Nikki Haley, but I love Governor Reynolds. And if Governor Reynolds speaks highly of her, then I know to give her a look. So that speaks to the, you know, the impact and the influence she could have within this Iowa Republican electorate. Let's talk, Stephen, about the looks some of these candidates presented at the Iowa State Fair. 
um, and a moment, perhaps, for Vivek Ramaswamy as he rapped on stage. Yeah, with with Kim. Well, she didn't rap, but <laughs> um, yeah, no. I mean, they're all looking right to have kind of a breakout moment to make themselves known. It's a big field of candidates. And being at the state fair puts you in front of an audience of Iowans who may not be normally paying attention to politics mm -hmm. and an audience of national reporters who are at these events, right? So uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, you know, Governor Reynolds, when she does these chats with the candidates, asks them, you know, what's your favorite walk-up song, walk-out song to, to go on stage to? And he said it was Lose Yourself by Eminem. And then he proceeded mm -hmm. to rap the song uh, and and got the crowd going and that kind of went viral. So he's trying to attract attention in that way. The candidates are all sort of, you know, seeing if they can break through, right? Some of them spent a lot of time at the fair. You had um, candidates like Mike Pence draw news for getting a question at the Des Moines Register soapbox about January 6th, right? Mm -hmm. So there are, the, there's the potential when there's a big event like the fair and there's a lot of media attention for a candidate to kind of break through and, and have um, some, uh, wider exposure. Corporations are people. Yeah, Mitt Romney right. at the mm -hmm. Iowa State Fair the on Des the Des Moines Register soapbox. So <laughs> um, obviously, the the marquee event among the candidates at the fair was the day Ron DeSantis showed up, had his conversation with Kim Reynolds, went over to the pork producer's tent, as many do at the state fair, did some stuff with the pork there, flipped it on the grill, and then Donald Trump arrived. Aaron, what did what did what was that experience? Like? Well, first of all, before he even got there, the Trump campaign flew a plane <laughs> over the State Fair crowd as Ron DeSantis was um, it said campaigning. Trump on the side of it. Uh, yeah, and and the and the flag said um, be be. Be likable. Be likable. Thank you. Well, that's Ryan. a whole be separate likeable. plane. There, were, yeah, there, there was were the two. Trump plane. Yeah, and yeah, Trump yeah. And then Trump flew, flew and then Trump flew over mm -hmm. himself uh, and and made a little did a little. Buzz the tower from Top Gun esque uh, kind of mood, uh, move. Yeah, and then when the Trump himself came to the uh, the fairgrounds, that was pretty remarkable. I was um, <laughs> blessed to or stuck in, depending on your perspective, the traveling press pool, and uh, it was remarkable the, the, to see the crowds and and the the people trying to make their way to see the former president. He did a little bit more of the retail side this time. He went to the pork producer's tent. He didn't flip. Um, he did uh, accept a pork chop on the stick and then immediately handed it off to a conservative media outlet that was there reporting, uh, but walked through the Animal Learning Center and then gave some remarks um, at a sort of a food pavilion there. So um, he did, unlike eight years ago when he literally helicoptered in and out, he did a little more of that, but it was only about an hour on the fairgrounds, so in, in typical Trump style. Brian, it strikes me that this event may be sort of what we see from Donald Trump here on out because he didn't give a speech, he interacted with people, he said a few things, but he brought all these Florida um, members of the U.S. House to Iowa who really gave the speech to the crowd and he just introduced them and, you know, said, I love Iowa. I mean, isn't this sort of what may happen to Trump given his circumstances with four indictments? 
right? We're looking at a very involved and complicated legal calendar mm -hmm. for the former president between now in the caucuses and then extending on afterwards. So he's going to have to fit in campaigning between all of those things. And so we really have yet to see kind of the big traditional rally that right. we came mm -hmm. to expect from him, you know, prior to this race. And so he's been coming in. He's been doing some more of these smaller events, smaller to the degree that, that he can, right? As Aaron mentioned, he was swarmed by a lot of people. But again, right, he skipped Kim Reynolds' uh, fair side chats. He skipped the Des Moines Register soapbox. He kind of came in and created his own climate, his own weather, you know, and everyone else was left responding to that. Um, uh, sorry, sorry to jump in. The only thing I was going to add, and the other thing is it felt like it was more, the whole day was more a trolling of Ron DeSantis than it actually was a Donald Trump campaign swing. You know, we mentioned the, the planes beforehand. You mentioned the Florida Congress people that he brought with him, and it was all, I'm sure, not accidentally scheduled on the same day that Ron DeSantis had already been announced that he was on the, at the fairgrounds. Right. We watched Ron DeSantis leave Kim Reynolds' fairside chat. He, he, he was swarmed by people. He had a lot of people who wanted right. to come up to him, shake his hand, get a selfie, and, you know, that whole pack kind of moved along down through the fairgrounds, and then suddenly Donald Trump was here. And you thought Ron DeSantis's crowd was big, and then you looked over at the crowd surrounding Donald Trump, and so it was kind of a microcosm of of the challenge that DeSantis has right now of needing to draw attention away from the spectacle that is Donald Trump, and it's a big open question of whether he can actually do that. Speaking of, let's talk about the Trump-DeSantis dynamic in Iowa, as evidenced in the Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll that was released this week. Right, we just released this poll, and so as as expected, right, Donald Trump is in the lead. He's at 42% over Ron DeSantis, who's at 19%. That's a 23 percentage point lead. That's a really big lead in Iowa caucus polling, um, but it's still smaller than what we're seeing nationally. So nationally, um, public polling is putting Donald Trump's lead at 30 or 40 points. So it is smaller. Um, but it's still a pretty substantial lead. Um, Tim Scott follows at 9%, and then there's kind of a cluster of other candidates who are hovering around 4, 5, 6%, and then folks who are down in the, the you know, 0, 1% range. Aaron, yeah. when I looked at these results, I was not surprised by 1, 2, and 3, given what I'm seeing on the campaign trail. No, Were you neither, surprised? neither was I. I, I it, it lines up with what we're hearing out there, um, you know, that the, Donald Trump is, has a majority of the support, and, and the next year were sort of the ones that we also hear about. I'm also considering, mm -hmm. um, so that wasn't a surprise either. The, the other thing that stood out to me, and, and I wrote this down, was maybe even reinforcing former President Trump's lead even more is of the people who named him as their top choice, Two-thirds said their mind is made up about that, while about roughly a third said they could be persuadive, persuaded. For Ron DeSantis, it's almost the exact flip opposite of that. So Ron DeSantis has his smaller number, and then only a third of those are locked in. So that, that tells you that e even more uh, the, the significant challenge that Ron DeSantis and the rest of the group faces to climb that ladder and catch up to the former president. Brianne, I think um, you're polling guru calls it the footprint. We're talking about Ann Seltzer. Explain what the footprint is for each of these candidates. Yeah, this is a test that I really like that we've been doing in our, our latest caucus polling. And we look at um, all of the candidates. We, we ask our caucus goers, um, who's your first choice for president? 
who's your second choice for president and who else are you still actively considering? Because, you know, I think we all have the experience of going to these events and talking with people there and saying, well, who do you like so far? And they name three, four, five, six candidates, right? Mm -hmm. They really don't have that narrowed down. So we're trying to gauge the full universe of their support here in Iowa. And when you look at that measure, when you look at that footprint, it's a much closer race. Donald Trump is at 63% who say they are actively considering him in some way. For Ron DeSantis, it's 62%. So that that shows that while Donald Trump does have this big lead, he does have more of that lockdown. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are still thinking about Ron DeSantis, and they're looking for these moments, whether it's the state fair or the debate or some other moment, to lock in that support or to say, I'm going to maybe move him from actively considering to second choice or first choice. And, and Stephen, that poll also had sort of a Trump allegiance measurement in it as well. Yeah, and really quickly, I was just going to say, it kind of shows, the footprint measure kind of shows who has the potential, right, to really break into the race. Because some of the other candidates, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Tim Scott. Chris Christie, don't, well, I'm sorry, Chris Christie, don't break 50% as far as people who are even considering them. Tim Scott is the only other besides Trump and DeSantis who does, right? Mm -hmm. But as far as the, the Trump question, yes, the poll asked several questions about Donald Trump, his legal situation, and sort of his place in the Republican Party. So I'm just going to read off a few statistics because they're fascinating. And again, the poll is of likely GOP caucus goers, so people who are planning to caucus for the Republicans. 65% say they do not believe Donald Trump has committed serious crimes, despite his four indictments. 51% believe Donald Trump won the 2020 election. 54% say aggressively criticizing Donald Trump for the acts that led to these indictments against him would make them less likely to favor a candidate. And then we asked a question about who should continue to lead the Republican Party. 41% say Donald Trump. 26% said Trump was a good president, but it's time to move on. And 31% said time for a new leader with better personal behavior. So these together, these questions really show that potential Republican caucus goers believe Donald Trump's claims, they believe his innocence, and they, many of them, continue to think he should lead the party despite the legal situation around him. And I love that 54% say that uh, aggressively criticizing him would cause him, for all our independents or Democrats watching this show, wondering why the heck won't these candidates go after Donald Trump there's your answer. Ann Selzer found it. Well, Aaron, that's a good segue to the debate, which happened this <laughs> past week. And the candidates on the stage, by and large, did not directly criticize Donald Trump. The candidates we're seeing, Chris Christie, of course. Yeah. We are seeing Asa Hutchinson. But by and large, nobody criticized the person who wasn't there. Yeah. No, they all went after Vivek Ramaswamy instead. He, he sort of wound up playing the... Trump fill in both of his own making too. He, he kind of um, uh, was, uh, for lack of a better word, putting it was Trumpian on that stage in the way he uh, went after some other candidates and talked about some things. And, and, and yeah, clearly the other candidates found him a, a popular uh, a target to criticize. So that, that was interesting um, to see that play out. And I suppose without Donald Trump on the stage, uh, they needed someone to go after, and that wound up being Vivek. Stephen, um, what did we learn from this debate that we didn't already know? Um, and what were the vibes there among the candidates? Yeah, we, I mean, as far as the candidates' answers, we've heard many of these on the campaign trail before, right? They, they, many of them 
tried as much as they could to stick to their sort of talking points. But there were interesting exchanges. The, uh, the interest among several of the candidates, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, to go after Vivek Ramaswamy shows maybe how they see him as a rising threat, right? Mm -hmm. So he sort of had a moment where he's not only fending off attacks from these others, but lobbing attacks of his own, right? He was really center stage. And because of that, Ron DeSantis kind of faded into the background for stretches of the debate. Whether that's good or bad for Ron DeSantis might depend on how you feel about him, because he was able to stick to his message. He was able to deliver his talking points, but not really get involved. So it was it was sort of an interesting dynamic there where some of these other candidates are trying to gain attention by mixing it up with Ramaswamy, whereas DeSantis chose to sort of stay out of it. Well, when you see some of the analysis of polling data or the little things where they have people watch the thing and then they have a dial and they say, oh, I like that, and they turn it up and somebody says something they don't like and they turn it the other way. DeSantis did well in some of those measurements. Right. I think DeSantis really, more than anyone, was able to effectively put his stump speech out there. You know, with all of that, um, all, all those attacks focused on Ramaswamy, he really didn't have to fend off a whole lot. So, you know, he was able to, to deliver his stump speech largely unimpeded. And so I think we saw, you know, for some of us observers, maybe we expected more from him and we expected him to be more involved. But for a lot of viewers at home, they liked what they heard. And so it'll be interesting to see, too, how some of these independent voters are thinking about this as well, because Nikki Haley was someone who I think also had a very strong night. She was able to deliver some attacks against Vivek Ramaswamy. She really got to focus on foreign policy. And, and more than I think just about any other um, of these top tier candidates, she was delivering kind of a general election message. She was really on abortion in particular. She was talking to a much wider group of people. So I'll be interested to see how she does in some of these follow-up polls. Mike Pence is someone who came ready to play. He was mm -hmm. feisty. And I mm -hmm. think if you haven't been watching him on the campaign trail, perhaps that was a surprise. But for those of us who've been covering him over the last year, I think he's getting much more comfortable kind of leaning into that conflict and really defending his positions on things like January 6th. And real quick to DeSantis's strategy, um, it, it may be, have been solid for one reason in that it, it's easy for us who have been watching this. You know, we were watching for something different or exciting because we've been following this guy for months and months and months. And it's easy to forget that so many people who tuned into this debate are seeing these folks for the first time. Right. So those candidates, I, I think, in this first debate especially, are comfortable just sticking to the stump speech and, and st still introducing themselves to a big number of voters. The other part of this debate was they discussed some really weighty policy mm -hmm. Um, that may play into the outcome of the 2024 election. Stephen, they had a long discussion about abortion. Yeah, and Brianne kind of referenced this. It was really interesting to see a divide among the candidates on stage. So you had people like Mike Pence who really want the federal government to, to take action and get involved in this issue. Mike Pence has said the federal government should ban abortion at 15 weeks and that mm -hmm. states should go further than that. But there are other candidates who said you know, Nikki Haley's message was there aren't the votes in the Senate to pass a, a federal ban. We shouldn't be essentially misleading the American people that this is possible to do. So there was a real divide on that. You had someone like Doug Burgum who pulled out his pocket constitution <laughs> and said it's a state's issue. The federal government shouldn't be involved. Sort of a traditional Republican, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. view of federalism, whereas you had candidates like Pence saying this is a moral issue. And then you had candidates like DeSantis who 
has signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida, said he was proud to sign it, but tried to speak more generally when it came to what federal policy he would support, perhaps recognizing that this is an issue where the general voting public is not necessarily in step with the Republican positions on this issue. So there are some who are trying to stake out a claim in the primary race by being aggressive on the issue, and there's others who have an eye towards the general election. We've got a couple of minutes left. It strikes me that during the 2012 race, somebody did well in the debate, and then they had a bump, and then they had another debate, and that person who did well in that debate had mm -hmm. a bump because we had a bunch of people who led this race. This is demonstrably different, Aaron, because Trump, even though he wasn't there, has a commanding lead in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to how different this race is, not just from the debate, just overall. Mm -hmm. He's basically an incumbent right. in this race. And, and yeah, we'll probably see a candidate to get a bump mm -hmm. um, from this. But to Brianne's point earlier, it's not going to be a 23-point bump. So someone's going to have to stack success upon success. It can't be a different candidate each time. Someone's going to have to kind of start having a moment here. And, and we haven't seen it yet. Talking about start having a moment, the Iowa Democratic Party chair was on this program a couple of weeks ago, Brianne. We've been all covering the Iowa caucuses, and she said we may or may not have caucuses on the same date, January 15th, as Iowa Republicans. What's the strategy there? Well, you know, I think Iowa Democrats are still feeling this out. They're going back and forth with the National Party, but it is confusing to hear the party say we're going to caucus on the same day as Republicans, and then when Republicans set their date to say maybe not. So I was talking with a county party chair for the GOP just yesterday, and she said, we've already locked down all of our precinct locations. You know, county counties have to get on this now. They need to reserve space for people to caucus. And Republicans are moving ahead without Democrats at this point, is what she said, that, that they move forward, they lock down their spaces, and it was not in partnership with Democrats as it has been in the past. And so I think that's a sign that Republicans are not waiting. Well, I see a sign, and unfortunately it says our conversation for today has concluded. Thanks to the three of you for joining us on this edition of Iowa Press. You can watch every edition of Iowa Press online at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.